First City Focus is supported in part by First Vincent Savings Bank, a community lender committed to making loan decisions locally, online at frsb.net. Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at duke-energy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to First City Focus. I'm Nicole Carey. On this episode, a special project is underway at the Knox County Public Library. It's called The Harvest of History, and it's an effort to digitize historic photographs and documents of Knox County's families of color. We'll find out how it's going. Pace Community Action Agency has a new executive director, but she's definitely not new to Pace. We'll talk with Ty Blythe to find out what's on the organization's agenda for 2024. We'll visit a recent exhibit at the Shercliffe Gallery of Art, which showcases the portrait of a coal miner. And we'll take part in VU's recent walk, honoring the life and legacy of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Join us right now for First City Focus. Most people are well aware of the steep history that lies here in Knox County, but documenting and now digitizing that history can be a challenge, especially when it comes to that of minority groups. That is exactly why the Knox County Public Library has taken up the challenge through a special project. News Director Dave Foster and photojournalist Dave Novak take us inside the Knox County Black History Preservation Project of Harvesting History. This is 73. 73. Yeah. These are his daughters. That's me. 73. Yeah. I'm looking for the cheerleader picture. If you want to see a great example of passion and dedication, then look into the Knox County Black History Preservation Project group. Its members and volunteers meet regularly to work on this initiative that came out of a previous project where Knox County records and court documents were being digitized. Yeah, that him? Wow, she has a lot. Yeah, that's him. During that work at the local library, a mound of other history involving people of color in Knox County was discovered. Local historians already knew that by the year 1800, the Vincennes area had the largest black population in the state, but it took this deep dive into that history to realize just how large that population was. And this is one that... More ladies. You know, we, we're, we're getting a database of names that's, that's getting probably real close to a thousand names. And a thousand people is a lot of history. And that history, um, you know, starts before 1787. In 1787, uh, the Northwest Ordinance came into effect. And, and those were probably the first laws uh, making slavery and servitude illegal. However, it was decades later before slavery became illegal in practical terms. And it was here that some of the earliest efforts to end slavery occurred. And it's an amazing thing because you think of the civil rights uh, battles that went on in Alabama or places like that, but we've got just as amazing or even maybe more important in some cases battles that took place before that, not civil rights battles, but human rights battles, uh, uh, you know, determining whether a person could own another person or not. That happened right here in Knox County. 
As important as that is, Tom Bartholomew stresses that local black history does not begin nor end with slavery. And this effort is very focused on gathering pictures and materials of modern-day people and stories, like Kenneth Morris. A lot of history. Even my family has history here. And uh, uh, myself, I was uh, one of the first uh, uh, people of color uh, to be uh, uh, nominated for a, a precinct committeeman position. And then I was the first uh, assistant uh, sanitation, street sanitation uh, department head here in Vincennes. Mr. Morris did win that precinct committeeman seat and served for about eight years. That history happened less than 30 years ago. He went to Catholic school, my dad did. Oh, really? The baby, and that's him. That's the grandmother's son. That's the mother. Kenneth's wife, Bernetta, is also part of recent Vincennes black history. She made memories as a child visiting her grandmother in Vincennes and is excited to share her collection of photos of history making today that will eventually be put into an online digitized collection accessible to all. Very young, working, middle-aged, older, getting on to retirement. I think it's, it's very important and it'll be awesome when it gets all on the video, I mean, when it gets all on the digital and everything and uh, the families and that moved, there's a lot of families moved away, so it'll be uh, interesting to see and it'll be a blessing to see that they, when they look at this, oh, that was part of my family. I was part of Knox County. That's part of history and it's coming alive. So it's important. This show and tell of the past will arguably make its biggest impact on the future. One of the younger members of the Black History Preservation Committee is adamant about how all of history needs to be told and shared accurately and not hidden. You hear about, you know, Caucasians and more Latinas and Latinos and, you know, the Hispanic culture, then you got Haitian culture coming in and stuff. But it's like you don't hear about a black history in whole. Personally, I don't even like to say black because we're not black. We're colored. We're all different shapes and sizes. We're not just the color of a screen, you know, that's black. We are browns and we are light browns. And, you know, I'm pale complected, but I still have colored in me. You know, back in the day, I would be considered Milano or, uh, <laughs> sort of speak, a colored person because I have just an ounce of color in me. And, you know, not a lot of people understand the depths of what people go through to save their history, to make their history known. Some people actually had a fight to be where they are at. And a lot of people, I feel like, take that for granted after a generation because they don't hear enough of it. And there is certainly a lot to hear about. And there are numerous local, state, and federal agencies helping in many ways to make sure that recent black history of Knox County is harvested and told. And here's a picture of a boat that was taken on the Wabash River. And it's a party boat, probably taken about 1910. And, you know, here's all these white folks down for a party. And you will think, oh, man, what is that? Somebody's wedding or something? That must have been a celebration at some club in Vincennes. And they're all dressed really nice down there on the boat. But if you look up here, who's driving the boat? It's a couple of black folks. And, but nobody looks, you know. And, and now I want to know. Who's driving the boat? I want to know what his name was. What does it take to get a boat? How did he get a boat? What happened to the boat? Who's the gal with him? Is that his wife? Did they both drive the boat? Did they both own the boat? How many other black people owned boats that went up and down the Wabash River? And, you know, this is, you know, I, I found this picture and 
you know, the way this works is you see these pictures and it immediately becomes the most interesting thing in your life because now, you know, we need to find out these stories. For photojournalist Dave Novak, I'm Dave Foster reporting on First City Focus. If you have photos or documents to contribute to this project, contact the Knox County Public Library. You can find their information on our website, vincenspbs.org. Well, there are several ways Pace Community Action Agency helps support members of our community, which includes services spanning across six counties. Here to update us is the newly named Executive Director of Pace, Ty Blythe. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. So you've been newly named as Executive Director of PACE with the retirement of uh, Dr. Bertha Proctor, um, but you've been with PACE for quite a while. 17 years. Wow. Yes, I've been there 17 years, so I have seen a lot of growth during that time, and I'm just super excited to lead the charge for what we're going to do in the future. Okay. Um, now, of course, many local families benefit from the services uh, that PACE provides, especially being able to start their child's education with Head Start. What does it mean to you to see the stronghold that this program provides for the start of many kids' education? Early childhood is so important. It really sets the stage for how those children are going to learn throughout their entire career. And one of the things that's really beneficial about Head Start is it's not just about that child. Mm -hmm. It's about helping that entire family to figure out how are they going to set goals? How are they going to achieve um, successes? And the staff that we have are outstanding, the way they work with the families and really help each individual child. Because every child, especially at that age, when you talk about early Head Start, birth to three and Head Start, three to five years old, their development is so different. So we're able to individualize the education for each child to make sure that they're successful in really improving um, you know, the best way that they can. Okay, um, so who exactly qualifies for Head Start? Head Start has age and income requirements. Mm -hmm. So age-wise, anyone birth through age five, they can't be old enough to go to kindergarten, so that's mm -hmm. the cutoff date. And then income-wise, 90% of our slots or are for individuals that are 100% of the poverty guideline or below. So we do have 10% of mm -hmm. slots that can be for those families that are slightly above those income guidelines. Okay. Um, and then, of course, fast forward to the end of K-12 through education. Those that were in Head Start, they qualify for a scholarship that PACE provides. We created the Judy Bobe Scholarship. Judy Bobe was a longtime Head Start employee and also director of our Head Start program. And so the Judy Bobe Scholarship has been around for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. And up to two individuals are selected that participated in Head Start in one of our four counties, Knox Davies, Greener Sullivan counties. So those applications for scholarships are open right now. You can find them on our website and individuals are encouraged to apply. Okay. Um, some other exciting news for PACE is the expansion of health connections, um, especially focusing on meeting patients where they are. Tell me what's, what's yes. in the works. This is exciting. This is an exciting program. And actually, um, we were sub-granted uh, sub this funding mm -hmm. from the Indiana State Department of Health to pilot a program. So this is something that doesn't exist anywhere in Indiana yet. And we will have nurses and health educators throughout our service area that can provide the reproductive health care services to individuals at different locations. So maybe an individual has transportation issues. Maybe they have severe anxiety about coming into mm -hmm. a doctor's office. So we'll be able to meet them at their work, at their home, uh, maybe at a neutral place 
that they want to meet and provide that education and that health care. We want everyone to be able to access reproductive health care. How do you feel like this service will kind of complement the the up and coming of age of telehealth that seems to be prevalent in this year. What's, what can you say about the differences between what this is going to provide versus telehealth? This is going to be an in-person. So the individual actually be seeing the nurse mm-hmm. that is there. Where our telehealth program there on Zoom or on FaceTime, they're, they're going actually through the electronic media mm-hmm. to provide that service. I really think this is going to be a great way for individuals, especially if they're a little bit hesitant, to get used to the provider and really get the education. Some people don't know what to expect if they're going to be going to um, an exam or a visit or what kinds of questions might be asked. So I really think it's going to fit nicely into the services that we already provide. And it's going to be just another avenue for individuals to access the health care that they need. Okay. Um, as far as staffing, I, I would assume that you're going to need more personnel to help carry this out. We are. We're hiring six new positions. Mm-hmm. So that's also great for the community. One of our you know, big pushes is we want to benefit the community. So that's six new jobs in our area. And uh, those jobs are posted on our website. And we can't wait to get people hired and started so we can provide that service. Okay. Um, the, the atmosphere at PACE, working mm-hmm. at PACE, tell me about it and what you try to provide for the employees there. We are completely dedicated to the employees. They are the backbone. They are the heart. They are what make our agency successful because they're the ones that are interacting with clients and the public and the community day after day. So in a a range of benefits from our affordable family health insurance to 36-hour work weeks that provide flexible scheduling. We have a lot of people that say, hey, I can work four days a week and have a day off, have a a Friday off. They love that. They love that schedule. And that's for employee mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's for the work-life balance. We really want to focus that. Professional development is huge. We just had a group of staff, frontline staff, two of them. It was their first time flying. They flew to Atlanta, Georgia for a national conference. So professional development is really something that we focus on with our employees. Our culture is outstanding. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned the 36-hour work week. That seems to be a a hot topic now as employers Mm -hmm. are trying to find a way to appease employees in the current uh, atmosphere that we have. Um, What have you seen from staff members that have been with you for a while that have worked that traditional five-day-a-week and now altering to a shorter work week? What what are the benefits of it? Um, The benefits are flexibility. So people have the flexibility and we allowed staff the flexibility. Do you want to work nine hour days and have a Friday off or do you want to work a half day on Friday? So some of our staff choose to work a half day on Friday. Some choose just the four day work week. The benefit is they can schedule things Mm -hmm. on that day off so they don't have to take time off of work. And a lot of people like that, whether it's a doctor's appointment or a hair appointment or whatever it is that they want um, to have done, they can schedule that and not have to take off time. Or some of our staff are like, I have school-age kids. This is fantastic because they're at school, and here I am going to be at home. So I have Mm -hmm. flexibility to to do work around the house. Or some people selected to take a second job. They just wanted to be busy all the time. So there's Mm -hmm. tons and tons of benefits, and we've really seen it be successful. And people say, this is one of the reasons why I'm staying, because in right. addition to the culture, I have this flexibility and this day off. Okay. Um, 
As we look at other services that PACE provides, energy assistance, you know, is, is, a, is a key one. I know here in southwestern Indiana, we never know what winter is going mm -hmm. to be like. But as we've seen in January, we've had some really frigid um, temperatures. So as far as energy assistance uh, comes, how does one qualify or apply and what kind of uh, assistance is there? Uh, and our energy assistance program is a one-time-a-season benefit to an individual's heat source. And the application is on our website. It's income-based. Uh, it goes by the um, income of the entire family. So you can look on there to see, based on how many family members you have, what mm -hmm. the income guideline is. And then an application along with supporting documents is submitted. And if you're approved, then you'll get that credit on your utility bill. If you are in disconnect, we encourage you to give us a call mm -hmm. because there's a slightly different process because we want to make sure people aren't getting disconnected, right. uh, especially during the winter months. And that's a protection that our energy assistance program provides. Okay. And I know another thing that can help with utilities is weatherizing your home. You guys right. provide that as well. It's a program that some people aren't aware of. Um, and some people don't realize they think, oh, well, you can only weatherize a home if I own it. And that's not true. We can weatherize rental properties. We weatherize mobile homes. Um, we can even weatherize apartments. And what that does is allow us to go in, see what does that dwelling need to be more energy efficient. And then we do those measures, whether mm -hmm. it's putting a new furnace in, adding insulation, putting weather stripping around the windows. And all of that's provided at no cost to the individual or the landlord. Okay. Um, and of course, summer seems like a, a far way off right now. Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I'm ready. Like some sunshine right now. But of course, in the summer, you guys have your boys and beyond. It made a comeback uh, last summer. Um, it's such a positive effect, I think, for local boys. Are we planning to bring it back this coming summer? We're planning to bring it back. It is. It's a fan favorite program. And it's not just for the boys. The volunteers start Absolutely. contacting us. And they're like, are we doing that again? When is it? I want to make sure I get that on my calendar. Because we use local volunteers mm -hmm. to teach life skills through experiential learning. So the boys are out there changing tires, tying ties, um, doing cookie cook-offs, and learning all kinds of valuable skills throughout that for the, for the boys in fourth and fifth grade. And it's a week-long program. Program, right? We have traditionally done it as a week-long program. So we don't have dates selected yet. It's something that uh, people have started asking about. Right. And we'll be planning that and getting that information out. We always provide that information to the local schools as well as put that on our social media sites. So if there is someone who hasn't contacted you yet that may have a great idea of, mm -hmm. of programming something for the boys yes. and beyond, just reach out to you. Now's the time. Now's the time as we're in planning phase. Okay. All right. Well, always a pleasure to talk to you, Ty. Congratulations again on your new Thank role. You. And we look forward to see what PACE is bringing to the community in the future. Thank you. Thanks for helping to share our message. Yes. To learn even more about PACE, just visit our website, vincentspbs.org. Coal mining has long been a staple within many communities throughout Southwest Indiana. Vincennes is paying tribute to the industry, highlighting the hardship and struggles of its workers. Nicole Cardano Hillary shares with us the story behind Portrait of a Coal Miner. Art is what you feel when you look at it. That was the sentiment of local artist Fernando Lozano at a January reception of his Portrait of a Coal Miner art show. This one was the beginning of this whole conversation. 
A large crowd gathered at the event and gave support and honor to the native of Mexico, who has paid tribute to a part of American and especially Midwestern heritage and its workers. Lozano says it took him nearly three years to finish the project, which was inspired not long after moving to Indiana. It started when he came to Knox County about six years ago from California and lived behind a coal gasification power plant in Edwardsport. Every morning at five o'clock in the morning, a train will come with coal. No matter what, rain or shine. And I, and I started thinking about that really more, more, more explicit of what, what was happening with that, right? Um, and it, it started researching and started finding out that coal basically make the, the industrial revolution to be to happen, right? We have electricity, we have all those incredible things that coal was able to do it. And I said that there's, uh, you know, in every revolution, there's winners and losers. And to me, the losers are the miners who are still in this time. They're being used to get to certain points, you know, both for this, both for that. As Lozano continued to research the history of the industry, he became enamored with the struggles miners had in their fight for workers' rights, health care, and safety. His pictures depict how hard men worked and how downtrodden they could become risking life and limb day after day, as they dug for the nation's source of power while providing for their families. Lozano also shines a light on how children were once a part of the life down in the mines. Children were meant to be men at that 11 years old. That's amazing that the, 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 the company, the mine mentality was just to put these people down and, and to abuse them. And we still use that, you know. It's amazing. I've been talking to a lot of miners and, and they are very proud of their work. They're very proud of what they do. But and, and I just imagine going down into the, to the mine and, and having to, to shoulder with shoulder with your friend. You become brothers. You become more than brothers. You, you become savers of each other. This art collection can be a history lesson for some. Lozano told us that today's younger generation has no idea that the canaries, which are seen in some of these creations, were utilized in coal mining for about 90 years as a tool to detect carbon monoxide. They couldn't understand that. That was their, their kind of a safety valve, right? I mean, if the gases were coming, the bird was going to collapse and they were going to run away. They don't understand that. I, 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 so, you know, so it, it's very interesting to bring that to the, the, the generation that has not had that uh, experience or that uh, reading. The artist is very hopeful that this collection represents the true spirit of the miner and the sacrifices they make. But he also wants it to be a seed for thought. He believes that other sources of energy need to be explored, but doesn't want today's coal miner to suffer because of change. Now, like everything else, we need to change, we need to move. We need to move forward. Yes, coal did a lot of things for us, but I think it's time at the same time to kind of reevaluate what we're doing with it because global warming is here. I mean, it's palpable. You see things. And coal, even though it was an important part of our, of, of, of our revolution, of our industry growing, we need to face it, right? We need to understand that that is part. But again, who is losing here on this whole thing? The miners who are still working on that. Uh, I don't see a bill saying, you know, let's retrain them, let's re, 
give them or we just, the guys who have, uh, you know, are close enough to be retired, give them the patient, the full patient. Why not, right? I mean, they did a lot of things for us. We should help them as well. <laughs> for photojournalist Dave Novak, I'm Nicole Cardano-Hillary reporting for First City Focus. And now for our final focus. The Vincennes University campus recently honored the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A ceremony and walk allowed VU students and the community to come together to remember the legacy of the great civil rights leader. Ladies and gentlemen, in the tapestry of human existence, one thread stands out in vibrant defiance, the thread of freedom. Today, I invite you to embark on a journey of reflection and discovery, exploring the profound significance of a concept that has echoed through the corridors of history and shaped the destiny of nations. Today's speech was about freedom. And I'm not talking about freedom of speech. I'm not talking about the freedom to bear arms. I'm talking about individu individualistic freedom. Um, the freedom to be your own person, the freedom to have your own beliefs, the freedom to do whatever you feel is correct while also maintaining the freedom of others. I think that Dr. King's legacy and his work sort of expounds every um, asset of our lives, really. Um, he was a pacifist and he did wonderful things. He studied with Gandhi and he really worked on creating change in a peaceful way. And um, he was able to accomplish so much in a short life. And so I think that those sort of lessons for freedom and equity are important for everyone. Dr. King's speech was very, very clear on what he wanted, what he wanted to see happen. Um, he wanted to see people not struggle with these things. He wanted to see people happy. He wanted to see people together in great big congregations, um, having fun with each other, not having to worry about um, having to look over your shoulder because you think something's gonna happen to you. And that's all for this edition of First City Focus. For everyone here at Vincent's PBS, I'm Nicole Carey. Join us again next week. First City Focus is supported in part by First Vincent's Savings Bank, a community lender committed to making loan decisions locally, online at frsb.net. Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at duke-energy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members, thank you.